Hades comes to PlayStation. How much do graphics really matter? Well, hello, and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you lucky episode 212. That sounds right, so I'm going to roll with it. it if this is your first time joining us, uh, stick around where we will get into kind of the news and the main topics of everything, uh, as well as pull in kind of opinions that we put out as or that we ask you for as part of our community's take section, which you can find uh, by joining our social media. We'll give you all that, but this show starts off in a very specific way. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and say I might sound odd and I might there's a number of different There is things. no might. You sound odd. I know I sound odd, but I don't know how odd I sound because you already sound weird to yourself, you know? Yeah. So I am, uh, I am allergied up right now, and uh, we're just rolling through and doing the show anyway. So forgive my tonal differences, and we're going to get into this. Saul, what have you been up to? What have you been playing this week? Well, I've been playing a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! with you guys. Well, we have. fun. Um, in terms of games, because Yu-Gi-Oh! is a game. And Certainly. Yeah. Um, other than that, like video game wise, I've only played Returnal this week, and I didn't even play it that much. I played it kind of only on um, Saturday morning before we went Yu Gi Oh card shopping, and I played it like Tuesday or Wednesday in the week. I didn't play it much other than that. Yeah, and actually, you know what? I did play it a little bit last Sunday. Last Sunday okay, night. whenever you left here. No, uh, not only that here, but yeah, just later on in that day. Um, But yeah, other than that, it's kind of a boring week for me in that end. Uh, I'll pose a question to people who listen, though. Um, Do you guys, does any of you play Yu-Gi-Oh? I know Richard likes it. And yeah, like if you guys play Yu-Gi-Oh or if you want to play Yu-Gi-Oh and like chill with us and talk with us about it, hop in our Discord, which is in the link description. But uh, what have you been playing? Also a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> as has to be part of it. But um, yeah, I've been heavily, heavily, heavily. You know my big problem. I always play one game, and it's impossible for me to play another while I'm doing so. Unless it's like something like Scourgebringer, where I'm just playing it at work because I don't have anything else to do during yeah. the break. Um, but I've been playing Near Replicant, uh, the new version, remaster slash new version. And I am... Very close to platinum, closer than I am to platinum on than on the PS3 version of uh, the original Nier, for the US at least. And I am in the middle or in the process of doing the run that gets you ending E. I have okay. done ending A, B, C, and D. So, oh, been right. heavy, heavy on that. I did play Returnal because my brother came over. And was asking, is this an actual PS5 game? I was like, no, but if you want to see one, I'll throw one on real quick. And let him play. And then kind of took over to see, you know, to kind of finish the run whenever he decided to leave. And that's about it. I'm excited to get to Returnal where it's like the main thing I'm playing. It's just, I I know that I'm right and that it was not going to be a way to work it out to where I can play Replicant in near, even remotely in a time-sensitive fashion. Okay. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but I'm, I'm really excited. Um, you know, I know that Liam, one of our longtime friends, has said that ending E is something he thinks I will really uh, be 
WTFing about, as they say. And uh, I, I'm really excited to see how they're going to do it because this is actually the first time I've ever done Ending D. I knew what it was, so I just didn't really worry about it um, because I was working on Platinum. And as is the case with a bunch of different things, or I should say with Nier so far, the final ending of the original game and the final ending of Automata, delete your save file. So when you're working towards a Platinum, that's not always what you want to do. But there's a little special kick on this one. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm excited to get into more stuff. I mean, there's plenty of games I want to play. I have Resident Evil 8. Don't know when I'm going to start it because of the same problem. But, you know, it's what it is. Going to see what happens there. But for now, I'm excited. To, you know, in a weird way, it's like, oh, I'm giving up a full day of gaming or after work day of gaming to play a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh, but it's super fun. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not a hit at all. I'm just trading it for an in-person game. Um, just out of curiosity, I think you know more. Um, does the Switch game that Andrew's been playing, I assume it's also on PS4 and whatnot, I does it so. have online modes where you can play with other people? Like yeah, you can absolutely. Okay. I might actually buy that if there's anybody who listens who wants to duel, just also so you can get familiar with different rule sets and whatnot and play around with different decks without actually having to spend real-life money on them, unless that game has combined the two worlds perfectly, and they're like, well, we're going to give you a Yu-Gi-Oh game, but you can also buy cards with real money. See, It wouldn't surprise me. You can't do that. Thank you. I, I thank have God. that game. I've played that game before. <laughs> what is cool about that game is that the story mode starts you in, like, Duelist Island. So like, does it like, span the, all of the all of the different yes. eras of Yu-Gi-Oh, I should say? Yeah, and what's the cool part about it is you can choose which area you want to play in. So, like, you could literally skip all the way to the end to get Link Summonings, or, like, you can go to the one before that to do Pendulums or whatever it was, and you can literally kind of skip around there. And, of course, from that era, the packs and stuff you win, you get cards from that era. That's cool. I, I kind of like the idea of having it to where... If you want to, you can kind of be like, I'm going to play this game as a way to move through the history of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because we were talking yesterday about how the oldest versions of decks, like really, I'd almost argue that up until like you get to the, the god cards, the majority of OG Yu-Gi-Oh! and the OG Yu-Gi-Oh! anime is fairly simple decks. There is cool moves you can do and cool combos, but they're not like what we were doing yesterday with like the your god, uh, your sacred beast deck or my dino master deck yeah they're not nearly that complicated and milling and all that interesting things that come from it so it'd be kind of cool to start the game and actually have to work and build a deck that's entirely old cards then move up and start dealing with like the elemental heroes and whatnot and then continue to move up into five z's and synchro summoning and kind of just keep going right though i also think it's weird that i've never really watched any of the animes in earnest after OG Yu-Gi-Oh! I remember GX, and I watched a little bit of it, but, you know, I was getting into other things at that point. I've always thought it was weird that they did the same thing with Beyblade and stuff, too, where it's like, well, you gotta have a brand new show that focuses around the new type of summoning. <laughs> right. And that's kind of what they did, like, with the exception of, like, Fusion Summon. And You're right, because Fusion and Ritual were in the OG. Yeah. But... That was kind of just built around, which I guess, arguably, they still had seasons, right? Or they they kind of did it, if you think about the fact that the OG series had, uh, whenever they got to, what was it called, Battle City, whenever they started having Dungeon Dice Monsters in, like, the show for a little bit. Yeah, which was cool, because... That was cool. I love, uh... I love Dungeon Dice Monsters. I just also think it's funny. It's like, well, every time we have a new way to summon that's going to be the thing we focus on, we're going to make a new version of the anime... 
and we're going to make sure we up the ante where they're not just dueling with Discon. No, no, sir. They're riding on motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> they're floating in space or whatever. I don't actually know. I didn't watch Zexel, but I assume it was something like that. Anyway, Yu-Gi-Oh's fun. That's all that matters. I just Clearly, those shows have to continue to up the ante because we've seen it all before if they don't. So it is what it is. Um, of course... We normally would come in here and do our community's take, but since the community's take is pretty heavily focused into the main topic of kind of what we're going to do today, because we are time sensitive, I have family matters to deal with at um, not long from now, so we're kind of having to control the time. Uh, we're not going to do the community's take now, we're going to wait and do it as part of kind of the main topic. So instead, we're going to go ahead and break into news, but as always, remember this show is brought to you by us. And by you, wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for all you great people who not only listen every week, but also those of you who extend the extra hand and uh, help support the show with your money as well, which helps us with a ton of different things. We are ever so appreciative of it. We really are. Yes, thank and you all. if you want to join those people, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. It gets you early access to certain things. It uh, gets you cool Discord name color if you decide to jump into the Discord and talk up, uh, talk with us. Of course, there's other things you can do. But for now, let's hop in to the news. Uh, first thing up, as we kind of said in the cold opening, Hades has been anticipated to come to PS consoles for some time. It's lately been the thing that everyone's like, oh, this is what this state of play is going to be about. Oh, this is what this is going to be about. And it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but it looks like that time is coming soon. Uh, as the Korean Game Rating and Administration Committee has posted a listing for the game on PS4. Interestingly, I added this because I thought it was kind of cool. The ESRB doesn't show it as anything, which I assume means it's probably self-published with someone who's just handling the distribution. Uh, it shows that the Korean version... The applicant for this uh, is Take-Two Interactive. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So not so indie in the Koreas. <laughs> wow. Uh, but that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to play the game, but it's just, as is proving the case with Returnal, it's almost got to be the only thing you're anticipating doing. And I think I've, I've managed to get behind and haven't caught up on gaming <laughs> lately. Uh, so we'll see how that happens. The DualSense alternate color rumors were true, and PS5 owners looking for something different can grab the Midnight Black and Cosmic Red controllers starting June the 11th. Now, of course, you get to see what the controllers look like, and i got to tell you, they both look great. I'm very partial to the Cosmic Red. Uh, June the 11th also is the launch date of Ratchet & Clank, which is smart because people are going to be out and about buying. Uh, Pre-orders are available now, and remember, June the 11th is my birthday. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I joke. I've been doing it to Hannah because my wife, mine's coming up. My this June is too busy around here. I have too many friends with June birthdays. Yeah, and then I have family with June birthdays. It's 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 crazy around here. Uh, next thing up, Play at Home continues on May seventeenth, but this time with a handful of in-game content and virtual currency from Rocket League, Brawlhalla, Destruction All Stars, MLB The Show Twenty One, NBA Two K Twenty One, Rogue Company, World of Tanks. World of Warships and Warframe. On May 20th, Call of Duty Warzone joins in with five double XP tokens. Um, interesting way to move with the play at home initiative because eventually you are going to run out of games that you're like, well, they're games that people enjoy, but maybe not everyone has that we can afford to take a hit on. Yeah, I could see that. Have you played any of the play at home stuff yet? 
Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I have either. Subnautica. I tried it. Again? Yeah, yeah, on PlayStation. Oh, you're right. You played it on PC originally. Didn't yeah, you? and it's, I mean, it's it's Subnautica. It's good. It just kind of runs weirdly in my on my PS5. The load time, though, because lo- the load time on, like, PC was, like, even when my SSD was, like, four minutes to load in, it's about three minutes on PS5. That's not bad. No, I mean, of all. course, it's the PS4 version benefiting from an SSD. Um, when you say it runs weird, is it kind of like odd things that you think might be because you're running the game specifically on a PS5, the PS4 version? No, it ran weird on PC. Did it? Yeah, even, no, well, even I was when thinking, it came out of, uh, or whenever version 1 came out, it ran kind of weird. Oh, well, I lied, by the way. I've been playing The Forest with Donovan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking, is if it was one of those situations. Because is Subnautica built in Unity? I have no clue. Neither do I. I. I didn't pay attention to that whenever I booted it up. But I know that the forest, one of the interesting things that happens on PS5 is anytime you open your menu, I shouldn't say menu, I guess it's like your crafting screen where you can see like your inventory and how you can put stuff together. Anytime you back out of that, for some reason on PS5 only, it's dark for like two seconds after that. And it looks like you're suddenly at nighttime, even if it was shining bright. And then you get out, and it's super odd to get used to. Like, you kind of get used to it, but it's never quite right. Uh, and Donovan was experiencing that as well since he's actually playing on PS5. So those little things can happen. But honestly, if that's the only thing keeping the forest from basically otherwise being perfect on PS5, eh, okay, f- fair enough. That's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, next up, Days of Play, the yearly PS Store sale that last year evolved into a community event of sorts is back. There will again be three stages where it asks players who sign up to play as much games and earn as many trophies as possible across three stages to win a variety of PSN avatars and dynamic themes. If you want to go check those out, you can head over to the PS blog. It's got pictures of what you can win, which is pretty cool. The themes are nice and so are the avatars. Stage 1 starts May 18th, which is of course the day after this episode goes live, and the final stage wraps on June 8th. This includes a free online multiplayer weekend in these in this stint, a share of the week competition, and of course the traditional sale. So you can pick up some games. I wonder, with PS5 still being kind of new but six months out, will we see any PS5 games on some sort of sale? You know, it's it's always curious to me when that'll start happening. Like I wanna see like Returnal's the one I keep my eye on just because of what we've discussed about in the past. Yeah. Um Curious if that guard go, or if that game goes on sale, and what the first sale price will be for it. You know, I don't know because I was just about to say something that clearly is true, but how much does it actually impact people or impact Sony? I should say. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it would be too early to put that game on sale, but arguably, and it was a little different. PS Plus, of course, included Destruction All-Stars. And if you remember, if you didn't have PS Plus, but you wanted Destruction All-Stars at launch, it was $70. About three weeks at end of that, maybe even two weeks, it might have been a full month. We'll just say a full month. It's still rough. The game dropped permanently to $20. If you were not a PS Plus subscriber for some reason, yet you bought that game for 70 how much flack do you think Sony got for suddenly being like, oh, yeah, by the way, the game's $20 now if you bought it at 70 suck it. Yeah. And arguably, that's a that's a steep difference. That's a fifty dollar difference. I don't Returnal would not be that steep. Returnal no. seems to do do a lot better, but is there going to be someone out there who has recently bought and I'm sure yes, but if Returnal does hit sale, I don't expect it to. Partially because if you notice, Demon Souls is not dropped in price at all. 
No, it hasn't. PS5 yeah. games have yet to drop. And for a long time, Saul would mention that PlayStation games in about six months are going to see at least a $20 price drop. And that was true for a long time. Not right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's just because the console's new or what the deal is with that. Or if it's part of Sony saying, of like, not only are we going to charge more for our games, but we're going to make sure that we get that value more often than dropping it so quickly. Yeah, maybe. Are they pulling the Nintendo? Yeah, I, they could be. Um, I I think that, you know, they have the most... Like it's it's the most sold next generation system at the moment, yep. and because of that, uh, people can't get uh, these systems uh, because of that and because of other reasons, supply issues. But at the same time, there's demand for the people who do have these that want to play the games, of course, and that's one thing they can get a hold of. So, from a business stance, why lower the price of the games? Because that's true. You have that new system. You want to play these games, and we're, we're, we're going so far in. It's almost like the launch window for PS5 is just creeping into to now, six months later from when it initially came out because of the supply issues. Yeah, where I think a lot of people would argue that like, you know, we used to view, or at least I know I did, uh, I used to view launch window like the first three months. Yeah. And you're right. It kind of has this feeling because of how it's around that it's just... Like it might be weird, but I can almost have it still having that feeling of launch window all the way up until maybe Ratchet, maybe even past Ratchet. Like, would it be that weird if we go nine months to a year and it still feels like launch window just because of how hard it is to get the system? Like, you know, we saw it with Switch while we're talking about Switch, but Switch was able to rectify it pretty quickly. We were also weren't in a pandemic or anything like that, but it's very different. And there's also, well, no, this is really kind of similar of Switch if you think about it. The first six months of Switch really only had those two games. I mean, it had Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And then what was the actual next big exclusive? Because it wasn't Splatoon. Splatoon 2 was, if I'm not mistaken, still on Wii U. Wasn't it? Actually, I'm not sure about that. Um, Me either, but maybe it came later. Was Mario the next big game? I want to say no, but I don't know what the other game would be. I, don't, I honestly don't remember. Well, okay, there was there was like one two switch and stuff, but I don't, I'm not going to count that. No, and um, I don't think most people would. That's almost that's almost a pack in game, even though it wasn't. You had to pay for it. Um, I don't know. It's interesting seeing how it goes off, but that's probably the real truth. Is that people are so hungry for the system that when they finally get their hands on the system, they're like, "Oh, finally, Demon Souls!" And Demon Souls doesn't feel old because it's not like they've been able to get it all these months and they've just been waiting. Now it's like I have the machine; I can play the game. Seventy dollars is nothing. Let me hop on that Demon Souls. Yeah, but does that does that hold true for Returnal? That's going to be interesting because I have in my mind kind of been like, ah, Returnal will kind of see the normal PlayStation thing where it'll be twenty dollars off in three three to six months, and it'll start to feel normal for me to be like, oh yeah, you should everyone should play it at that price. Yeah, and and it's weird because it's like I, I I don't know. Oh, we have it. We've never had a console. Um a console generation like this before where technically there are people who want the console who can afford the console but they can't get it this long because of supply issues even the switch wasn't like this the switch three months in that's when i got it but then i noticed that when i got it like two or three weeks later you could actually find them in the wild you can't do that now like with the ps5 you're lucky to have to download an app and to reserve one on target or walmart for them to even have it to do so and get there to pick it up it's it's almost impossible and, you know, we've been talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! One thing to back up on real quick that's kind of funny is 
for a long time, one of our coworkers is constantly like, when are they going to start selling them in, in stores? And I can understand there's also this thing of like, well, if you start selling them in stores, it'll help deal with bots and scalpers. But let's think about this. A five, a four or $500 console that is super in demand in stores. All right. Let's back that scale that all the way back to $5 packs of cards or at max like a $30 box of cards that people are getting into fist fights in Walmart over because demand is so high that scalpers are trying to go there, get them immediately, and are fighting each other over it because as far as they view it, they're losing profit by letting someone else get in on their what they're doing. Yep. And that's the thing too, is like like literally yesterday, we're not scalping cards. We're literally just going to buy cards to buy cards. Yeah. Um but like we went like we did like a what is oh what would you say like a two hour drive? Kind of like a circuit of to, all the Walmarts. To, yeah, like we literally went <laughs> to a town close to us, and then we did a big old loop back, and we visited three Walmarts total uh, to, to just buy packs of cards because they're not here, or structure decks, because something I love doing, and Brett did it yesterday, is you is you find a structure deck you like, you buy three of them, and then you make your own deck out of it. And yeah. like you have three copies of every essential card, and it's a really like it's a, it's a really competitive, fun deck for friend play. I wouldn't necessarily take one of them to tournaments. I'd take that one he got to a, to a tournament. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like I, it's it's just fun. It's like thirty bucks. Like for thirty dollars, you have a a decent, friendly, competitive deck to get into the game with, and to play with friends. You know, call it thirty five with sleeves, and you're done. That's yeah. the entry cost for that for this game. But because of this, because of the uh, because of COVID and all that stuff, everybody's stuck indoors, and I'm really surprised that Yu-Gi-Oh is having the biggest surge back for people who want to play it right now. Yeah, and it is impossible. Even some of these WalMarts we went to are in towns where they're not even super WalMarts. They're not neighborhood WalMarts. They're just Walmart, and they're <laughs> sold out of stuff of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So evidently, either a we're not having this, we're not the only ones that have this idea. Or there's a bunch of like swamp folk people out in these woods that love playing Yu-Gi-Oh because that's pretty much all that lives at some of these places. I mean, that very well could be the way it goes. One of my coworkers who I wouldn't have immediately thought would be into Yu-Gi-Oh is talking about how he doesn't get to like socialize with people all that often. I was like, dude, I mean, if you want to, come play Thursday Night Yu-Gi-Oh. But yeah, seeing people act this ridiculous over arguably something as simple as five dollar pack of cards now of course they're buying multiple i 100 percent believe now from seeing this and how they're having to go towards putting a ban on certain cards like it's weird Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't seem to be being affected thankfully yeah but pokemon mlb nfl cards all those are being uh temporarily stopped sell at uh target and walmart until further notice which who knows how long that'll be I think that I went, I went from being like, yeah, why don't they put them in stores to, oh, yeah, okay, I, I completely understand why they put them in stores or why they don't because now we're getting to where you won't be able to buy cards unless you're buying them offline, and that'll help people from stealing them and a bunch of other things. And while thieve, like, it's not like it's going to be a problem with most of the time at least the PS5 getting stolen, so that's not part of it. But it's just clearly people are hot right now, and if someone looks at something that's in store in there for $500 and they have a fifteen hundred dollars they're gonna be like let me buy three of those sell them for eight hundred to a thousand each and let's go and then of course people are gonna get mad because they're gonna be viewing that as that's five hundred dollars on profit i could have had mm-hmm. that you've just taken from me people are gonna get mad about it 
But that's okay. Uh, next thing up, EA's Battlefield 6 has been confirmed to be cross-gen after a rumor spread that it would be PS5, Xbox Series S, and X exclusive. The Or I should say this generation because it will also be on PC. The publisher has also confirmed that the reveal event for the game will happen in June. Not a specific date, but if you're excited for that type of game and want to see what's happening, then there you go. Battlefield's been weird. I guess it's been similar to Call of Duty in the sense that I I feel like Battlefield uh, 1 came out. Yeah. And it was huge. And then I was like, okay, people are really hungry for this World War 1, World War 2, older style boots on the ground gameplay. Then Battlefield 5 came out. And people were like, nah. <laughs> and outside looking in, I don't see how Battlefield 5 and 1 were that different. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't played either of them, so please don't take... The, like That's not a strong opinion. Just outside looking in, I thought it was weird how quickly the player base turned, seemingly. I definitely played Battlefield 1, because that was the same time... That game came out in the same time frame as Final Fantasy 15 did. And I played them both at the same time at launch. And, and didn't it come out the same time as Titanfall 2? Yes. That's, that's what people say. Like EA killed Titanfall 2 on purpose by launching it next to arguably their biggest first-person shooter game ever. And wasn't it something else? There was another game that was like sandwiched around that people were like, yeah, putting it between your own big game and another big game. That might have been, yeah. Like killed it on purpose. Yeah. Which Titanfall 2 is a fantastic game. And clearly, I don't think that they did kill it on purpose because they let them continue on making Apex. Well, that, that, so, that's you know. why they killed it, I think. I think they intentionally did that so they could have a reason to bring a battle royale into the mix. Maybe. Conspiracy theory hour. Bomb, yes. bomb, bomb. Hey, that's uh, actually Josh Shoop's show, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that what it's called? No, I don't think it's Conspiracy Theory Hour. You're right. It's, it's very close to that. I'm sorry. I'm a little brain dead right now. Me too. I did not sleep well last night. <laughs> I'm just clogged up in here. <laughs> the last thing I have here is just kind of a reminder, actually, for anybody who's been waiting to get them or has them and has been wanting to replay them. Remnant from the Ashes and Terminator Resistance received their PS5 upgrades, so owners of those games can go scoop those up now. And remember, there's a ton of games getting this stuff, kind of. We still have a Greedfall PS5 release that's coming. Um, we have... I'm telling you, I'm brain dead. I know that there's games out there. I think Subnautica's PS5 release was also revealed, if I'm not mistaken, um, during the state of play. So that's probably out as well. And the cool thing about this I've seen so far is outside of Final Fantasy VII Remake, none of the other PS Plus games seem to be giving the stipulation that you can't get the PS5 upgrade for free. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't know either, but... I'll. (laughs) Let's see. Actually, I bought both Remnant and Terminator, so that's not a good. That's not going to be a good example. Uh, Greedfall, I originally had physically, and then I sold it. So if Greedfall, the PS Plus version we got, gets us the PS Five version, I guess we'll know. But then again, they've not said anything except for with Final Fantasy, probably because they knew, hey, people are going to expect this for free. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I bought a lot of these games and I want to support them, so that's cool. I actually will probably go back and play Terminator Resistance because the cool thing is, for people who like trophies, not only do you get a better version of the game to play with a little bit of new stuff in it, in Terminator's case apparently, but you also get a separate trophy list so you get to re-platinum the game if you enjoyed it. I enjoyed Terminator Resistance enough to play it again and get to platinum because it wasn't a super challenging platinum. Fun game. 
Um, all right, now we are going to go ahead and get into our main topic. I don't have everything open, so you'll have to give me a second. I apologize. But it came from one of our patrons and longtime listeners, Sean Monio. And he basically was talking about something that we bring up on the show all the time, which was the price of games getting higher and higher. Uh, and, of course, we say that it's kind of a blanket statement. The truth of all things is that it's never across the board the same. Um, but, in general speaking, the larger gaming market, it's getting more and more expensive to make games. And he kind of brought up the idea of, like, what at what point do we stop worrying about graphical fidelity or reach a point where we consider it to be, this is okay, this will be the max of what we strive for, and let's go on and focus on story and how we're going to tell that story within the medium of gaming or focus on gameplay and how you can continue to leverage the in, you know the other part of gaming that's unique, which is specifically engagement with mechanics. And I like that idea, and it's something I have behind the scenes been talking about with Saul a lot and how I wish PlayStation would actually go about utilizing their IP yeah. without having to make $100 million games. Now, of course, this is just everyone's individual opinions, and there was a lot of different opinions on this. So we're going to go ahead and start with kind of the community's take side of it and getting your guys' uh, feedback on what you thought, which was very fun. So thank you to everyone who answered. Yeah, uh, we appreciate it. And we'll tell you guys later on in the episode where you could find out more about how you can participate in it yourself. Yeah, so going over to the community's take, this got a lot of interesting answers. Uh, Jehudi MD, one of our patrons, says it depends, and I, I like this. It's a very leveled answer, and it's exactly, it's always the truth, right? Because the truth is always somewhere in, in between. He goes, it depends. Some games lend themselves to spectacular graphics for that perfect immersive experience. Those games that focus on story, others focus more on a gameplay loop where immersion is the gameplay and not necessarily the story. And other times, a balance of both is important and desired. So it all depends on what game you are talking about. I think that honestly hits the nail on the head. For me, I think games like Returnal, I think Returnal could technically have been a PlayStation 4 game, and it didn't have to be in 4K. I think the only thing that mattered with Returnal is it had to be 60 frames. and um, Which arguably maybe it couldn't have been a PS4 game. Yeah, I'm not sure. Now, obviously, the graphical fidelity would be turned all the way down for 60 frames for that. But stuff like that... And coincidentally enough, Hades, as we were talking about earlier, um, you know, I don't, the art style, art style to me as just a generalization is different than graphics. I think when games have simple, but art styles that pop, I mean, look at Hades. I wouldn't necessarily call Hades art style simple, but it's gorgeous. But then you compare it to a game like The Last of Us 2, you get into... My big problem in terms of this, and yes, it's a pretty game. Yes, uh, it has stuff in it that, like, that, like, all kinds of stuff, particle effects, and all this other stuff. But is it good enough of a game to keep me playing? And that is, I always divide that into two things: gameplay, story. Is one of those going to outweigh the other and, and convince me to keep on moving? And I think that's where sometimes some developers lose kind of sight and stuff like this. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just weird because it's it's all completely subjective. 
for the most part, I would say. Um, Luke Newcomb on Discord, he does agree with Jehudi, and he says the only thing he would like to add that, that um, the games are complete and ready to go, especially at the higher price mark. So bringing in a comparison that I will personally compare to Cyberpunk is that is this game that's been in development this long truly ready at launch for the price point that you're paying for it? Or is it going to do something like Cyberpunk did or like some Bethesda games have done and you are paying for a game that is still being worked on that will eventually be the end product, quote-unquote, in six months? Um, well... While we're talking about Hades, I think yeah. this is this is a good one. So, Luke, I, I actually like this because it brings up something that's important. And, Saul, your specific example, right, of comparing something like Cyberpunk and then us talking about Hades, I think it comes into this thing of Hades is actually a perfect example of a game that started in 2018 as an early access game. Okay. And then yeah. it came out last September or so, if I remember correct, on Switch. Um, so it was available on PC for a long time. And kind of the way I view this is a number of things. Expectations that come. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think that there's a thing where games should be complete if they're if their idea is shipping as a complete game. I think expectations come into this a lot, and Hades has the room to be more nimble and all sorts of things. There's a smaller team that can pivot if they need to in certain ways. But the reality is, is that no one ever cared that Hades was early access because it was sold to them as an early access game. And I think when a game is still being worked on, because you, you look at Cyberpunk and you say, oh, a game that came out, it's still being worked on, it'll be this, the final product in maybe six months or a year if you're lucky. Hades is a game that came out and people bought, it was early access, and it wasn't the main, it wasn't the actual final release until two years later. Yeah. Which is fine if people know what they're getting into, and if it's the right genre, that's also part of it. Games like Hades really have, and a game like Returnal to a degree, um, if they kind of shied back from the story but they really wanted to hammer gameplay, do an early access version of Returnal that has like small little story things just to kind of tease what's going to be coming with the full release, but say the main purpose of this releasing as an early access is so that we know without a doubt the gameplay is as sharp as it can be for a full release status. Right. Um, so I think I agree if you're going to come out and say games are more expensive to make and that then you're going to also release a broken game that's con that's supposed to be a finished game at release. It makes it hard to kind of want to swallow that. And you start being like, where did that money go? Why was this so expensive to make? Um, though Cyberpunk is an interesting example too because I'm not sure it was nearly as expensive to make as plenty of other games but it was still broken. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, uh, and I, and again, I enjoyed it, but it's, you know, you, you got to call a spade a spade sometimes. Um, I kind of like this because people are looking at this for a number of different reasons. Cause one of the other things I actually said was the question wasn't only graphical fidelity, though. I think it's a big reason as to why games get more expensive. Uh, the other thing that seems to be pushing games budgets up is in large part, not only graphics, but the, choice the decision whatever you want to call it to make really dense and long games on top of it so let's think about a game like um at least in my opinion when i see the assassin's creed games assassin's creed valhalla is not the best looking game that's not why that game's expensive even though it does try to look as good as it can given the confines of how it works as a game it's very big it can't push as much as something like the, the last of us 2 would that's a little more confined but B. Raj, uh, one of our listeners, 
just said he has 90 hours in Valhalla and just beat the story. And that's too long, isn't it? Or, or, I, well, again, I, that, that differs per person, right? Yeah, but, for me, that's definitely too long. But, yeah, for me to look and go, you're saying that this game was, you know, let's say $200 million to make. I don't actually know if that's true, but it was at least $100 million, I'm sure. Uh, definitely with the amount of people that's working on it. And to some degree, it's like, did the game really need to be that long? You think about it sometimes, it's like, yeah, these games are long, but if you're going to consider this game to be expensive to be made, but it's only long because of menial side quests and weird things that keep you going and going and going and never quite getting to what you want, right? you're like, why is it this much money? I'd be more forgiving for a game choosing to be 100 hours if I knew it didn't cost over $100 million to make. And a good example of, of that from at least the way I feel about hearing and people talk about it, and I know the game couldn't have been that much money, Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal are both games that the story itself takes roughly anywhere between 90 and 120 hours from what most people tell me. There's no way that Persona 5 was a $100 million game. No. And that's okay. If you want to make a game that long, then scale back in other areas, in my opinion, and do that. But that kind of brings us to Rude Days 93, one of our patrons. He says, Lately, with the amount of games I had to play, I would much rather they shorten most games, and I like that he says most, to a nice 8-10 to 10 hour experience. I look at games like Hellblade, which was a very impressive looking game, it was, that was only about 10 hours long. Sean Layden said before games are getting too big and expensive to make, so I would welcome more short games. Issue here, then, of course, being how much do these shortened games need to be because I doubt many people would pay $70 for a 10-hour game nowadays. And here goes, a, I think Resident Evil comes into a big play here. Yeah. Resident Evil 8, if, from everything I'm seeing, is like roughly a 12-hour game on average, maybe. But Resident Evil 8 and all these other games, 60 but that still kind of brings our point to where it should be. Resident Evil 8 not only looks fantastic, runs fantastically because the RE engine is magic. <laughs> yeah, every, every game that's on it looks gorgeous and runs really well, 60 frames per second. Um, so you have those two things. Then you have the situation where it's a shorter game that is still full-priced, and yet they lean into what games really should be doing and while i agree with the statement as a blanket hole i don't care if i play the game one time i'm fine with paying seven dollars for a 10-hour game if it knows what it's doing and it respects my time and it's good the entire way through with not without really any filler but a game like resident evil 8 can be 60 dollars 12 hours and then its whole thing is but you're going to want to replay it yeah and when you replay it, you're going to find new ways to shorten that game time. And even though the game is getting progressively and progressively more short, you're going to enjoy it more and more if you're that person. And if you look, I don't know what the speed run is now, but like you know, you could beat Resident Evil Seven in I, I think like an hour or something. It was ridiculous. It might be a little more than an hour. But when that game was originally like a ten hour game, that is kind of like okay, that's that's impressive. And we had this thing where. I feel like sometimes the industry does things that I am wondering how does the industry make this decision? And they po- they typically point to the larger audience and go, well, this is what people want. So I'm going to ask you a question. So you're not it. on as much as I am. Yeah. But from what you see, from not only talking to people that you know aren't super into like gaming uh, social media, but also what you see by interacting with the people and kind of viewing gaming social media, 
I'm not so sure that there's actually that big of a group of people who want these multi, you know, thousand hour games. Like, yes, the market exists, but I think that from what I can tell, I don't think that that's as big of a thing as it once was. And I don't think that value is going to be looked at from that as much anymore as it was early PS5 or PS4 days. Again, that's right now. Of course it can shift. Yeah. You know, so in terms of value, what do you mean? I guess I should say the person themselves views the specifically gives the metric of value as being, well, the game was too short. You know, I don't see that very often anymore. I see a lot of games get high praise despite short run times and being full price games. Whereas there was a point in time where I feel like that was way more of a thing that people wanted to avoid. Uh, a good example of that is rise son of Rome. Yeah. Uh, Xbox one exclusive from launch. A lot of people really loved the game, but it was really short. So people got onto it. Rise for a lot of people was the Order 1886 for PlayStation on the Xbox side. It was, why is this game really beautiful but really short but full price? Right. And I don't feel like that's happening as often now. Though, I mean, he, he points to Hellblade. Hellblade is also not a full price game. I think it was 30. Yeah, 30 or 40. It was one of the two. I really think 30. But even at 40, it's, you, know, you understand where it's coming from. Um, and then we had a lot of price variances because he's right he's talking about the 70 dollars but let's just say 62 70 dollars i don't know that people are that worried about it i mean the fact that people are all over resident evil 8 a game that plenty of people will literally only play once for 12 hours maybe 16 hours if they're slow well, well, it. well okay let me let me stop you there because you said played once i don't think the common not all but the common resident evil fan is going to play that game just once well, I, I would even say this. I think the core Resident Evil fans are for sure going to play it more than once. Yes, but I think that if you are like you, like you, will you play that game twice? Nope. Okay. I <laughs> probably would yeah. because I would play two twice when I finally beat, get around to beating two. I should say this. I won't do what most people are talking about here where you beat it and then you immediately play it again. Right. At most, I might, because I'm thinking about replaying Resident Evil 7. But when yeah. I beat 7, I didn't immediately start 7 over to see how much quicker I could do it. When I beat Resident Evil 2 Remake, I did not immediately restart to see how quickly I could do it. I actually traded it in. Because for me, I'm okay with that. Now, I don't know how I stand against the most casual person who is looking at buying Resident Evil. I mean, Resident Evil 7 sold a ton. Resident Evil 8 so far has sold a ton. What percentage of that are people that are actually aiming to play it multiple times immediately? I don't know. Yeah, and for me, honestly, like... I think that's where it's hard to say objectively that a game does not have value because of replay value or a game is not worth X price because of replay value because that's different for each individual. Sure. Now that's, and this is why I said before, this is why it's so important to find reviewers that you are in line with in terms of gaming opinions and, or, um, your quirks, your wants, your needs, your likes, your dislikes, because they can tell you if it's worth the value or not in their review because of that. Or, you know, if you're talking to a friend that's like, hey, you don't really care for roguelikes, but hey, Returnal is a cool story. You might want to pick it up. But they fail to mention that you have to replay the same kind of areas like a roguelite. Yeah. And then that may put them completely off, and that's $70 to them wasted. Yeah. Whereas for me, I don't mind doing that at all. I think it's a good... Um, autopilot game. Throw it on a podcast or a movie or a video or something and listen to that while I'm trying to progress to this game. And that, to me, 
actually, Returnal to me, like that is that makes time go by way too fast. <laughs> yeah, I was telling Brett yesterday we 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 met up here ten till nine in the morning to go driving, but uh, I woke up at five thirty and I started playing Returnal and I I looked at the clock it was like eight fifteen and I'm like what in, where, where where did all that time go? <laughs> um, so it's it's weird. What you're talking about, I think, is kind of interesting. While we're talking about replayability, right? Um, this is me because I don't worry about replaying games in terms of immediately. I think about replaying a game down the line, and this is goes to show if, for anybody who's newer, which most of you probably have heard me say this a million times, but I'm gonna say it a million and one. I have replayed the Order 1886 more than I've played it at least four times. I think I've played it five. And that's a game that I think most reviews, when it comes to the replayability section, if that is a part of their review, would say is not replayable. But that's why I think I've always viewed replayability as more of, would you immediately start to play it again? And is there something there for that? Or is replayability this thing where it's like, are you going to actually play it again ever? And, I, I mean, the pure meaning of the word would be, can you ever play it again ever and still find something to enjoy? But I think most of the time people are talking about more quick replayability. Like, how often, how likely would you be to continue to get value out of this single stint of gameplay? Um, but for me, what I'm kind of getting at is that there's, re- there's reviews that I've read. And normally, I don't look at reviews to be my only sign for a game. I'll look at gameplay, see things, see trailers, and be like, that looks cool. And if I'm still on the fence, I'll go look at reviews. And I don't worry about the score so much as reading the review. And there's been times I've read reviews and I've been like, this review is glowing. And then I'll go look at the score and it'll be like seven. And then then they'll say, con, replayability. And I'm like, I don't care about that. This game sounds like it's a 10 out of 10 and you're just upset or not upset, but you're giving it a a, a mark. You're putting a mark against it due to the fact that you don't think that you can immediately replay it or even replay it again ever. Yeah. And honestly, for me, that kind of like... I think that's that's another kind of comfort pillow when it comes to digital gaming. If I buy it, I have it. I I, I you may replay it anytime. uninstall it, yeah, but I don't I don't ever tempt to trade it in. And every like that that's a lesson that I've learned before is like I may get in the mood just to play Grand Theft Auto Five for just a day or something and just go have and kind of mess off in that game and to be able to just download it on a whim, that's value to me. Yeah. For just the fact that I have it digitally. We have a ton of answers on Facebook that I want to get to. Yeah, go for it. Uh, but before we do that, because I think this one's still kind of part of what we're talking about in this, and, and in terms of balance, because I, I want to preface this by saying Saul and I have both, while we're sitting here talking the question of how important are graphics actually when you're working on making a game less expensive to make, I feel like almost everybody at some point Almost, and again, blanket statements, never covers everyone, but I feel like most gamers at some point have played a game and been like, holy crap, that looks amazing, and I'm so happy that there's a team out there that wanted to push this so hard that they were able to make a game that looked like this. Typically, I hope that that's also followed by looks like this and is still this fun to play. Yeah. (laughs) Many times I'll see, and it's amazing that games can do this, but like you'll see like things in dreams. And you'll see like a, a landscape of stuff. And you're like, that's really real. That's still not a video game, really. Yeah. Like, there is no playing that. You're just, it's like a scenery thing. And that's another reason I have a small issue with screenshots. I've kind of not changed my opinion, but I've kind of went back on it on screenshots in terms of like, they're not inherently like 
as disliked as I used to dislike them. But now, when you I, say screenshots, do you mean screenshots or photo mode? Photo mode. Photo mode because photo mode itself has this sharpening thing that it does. And it kind of can really sharpen and turn up the resolution on a picture because it's not – It's it, at that point in time, it's not sitting there rendering everything around it. You're rendering your subject. And I've seen games – Days Gone does this – where it's noticeably better looking game in and only in photo mode because of that reason. It's not having to do all this because it's essentially stopping the game. And, you know, that's – it's just – that's – yeah, for me, not a pet peeve, but it's not – it's kind of misleading in a way. I could see that being a fair argument. I mean, yeah, for a lot of people, it's just like, hey, look at this pretty part of the game. And in motion, it's never going to look like that anyway because you're in motion. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair. But Shave Dog 247, where I was kind of going with this, he goes, this is where I think the industry has a good balance. Studios like Naughty Dog, Sucker Punch, and Insomniac always try to give us a relatively long game with good gameplay while pushing the limits graphically. We also have studios like Pixel Opus, which if you don't know, they're the people behind Concrete Genie. And Supergiant Games, which offer decent gameplay with artistic visuals and a short game length. There are also a handful of games that seem to have never-ending gameplay like Minecraft and No Man's Sky. What Sean Murray and his team at Hello Games have done since its launch has been nothing short of amazing and honestly deserves more than its original launch ask price. The reality is games are getting more expensive to make because we are as consumers wanting and demanding more of the devs, regardless if they are indie or AAA. We want it all drop-dead visuals, rock-solid gameplay, and an engrossing story, but we don't want to pay that much for it. And I think that that's, uh, again, blanket statements. Blanket statements. (laughs) I think that he's more often than not right on an individual person basis. I think this is really what's going on. Now, I'm going to push back a little bit. I am 100% okay and really excited sometimes when indie games are super basic in their visuals and really focus on gameplay. Perfect example. There is nothing to write home about in terms of looking at it and going, wow, can you believe this system can do this? But Scourgebringer on Vita looks excellent. It's just a little pixel art game and little squares that don't even get rendered consistently. You go to a different screen, you see a different one. So there's no draw distance stuff to ogle at. Very basic game incredibly fun and an interesting take on why the, the, the why our character is doing what they're doing within the game uh, giving you that little push but I would say that this is a statement that I think is really true on the on the triple A and even maybe the double A side though I think double A has been doing a lot of cool stuff with pretty low budgets but also I think indie is very separate I, I mean yes you're right there are indie games that are getting up there in price but there are indie games that I think really take this question to home and go, hey, what do we worry about? Let's tell a cool story. Let's have really great, great, great gameplay. And let's make sure all of our money's going towards that. And not necessarily towards having our main characters, you know, dimples and, and pores be visible. Yeah. And I think that really the answer to the question we're posing is that indie games are the answer. Indie games are what do you do in this situation. Uh, but before we do this, before we go into the other ones real quick, um, Saul and I, or at least I was talking to Saul, and he, and he kind of agreed too. Um, you know, we had those couple episodes back about wishing that Sony was doing more with their IP and more with their internal studios. And one of the ways that I proposed that I thought would be really cool about that would be the idea of letting the studios make games that don't have to be the typical $100 million Sony budget game. Like, you know, if we want to make a Twisted Metal game, give me a Twisted Metal game with simple 
graphics that are more of a, hey, let's lean on an art style that's easy to do, but has its own cool design. And I think Twisted Metal is a great game to be able to lean on art style. It started when photorealistic graphics weren't around. So why worry about that now? You can even do the thing where it's like, it's all RC cars. I don't care. Yeah, I just want them to look at relatively like characters from Twisted Metal and maybe bring some new ones in and maybe change it up. You know, maybe do a Twisted Metal game where it's all top down. Just just change up. You know, do something that's cheaper, easier, that can be a small passion project for someone that utilizes your IP, has name recognition so people are more likely to hop onto it, and then you also get to try something different, like a top-down uh, twin-stick shooter car combat Twisted Metal. That actually sounds super fun. It does. And then we talk about Killzone Liberation. Both, both Saul and I love it from PSP, and it's a weird example of a series that's otherwise always been first-person going third-person isometric and having f- graphics that were great for the day, but I'll tell you right now, if, if Killzone Liberation just came out, 100% just came out, never existed on PSP, looked the exact same way it did, and played the way it did, I would hop on that in a heartbeat. I would too. And it, it's not expensive. It wouldn't be hard to do. It can kind of be what Ubisoft was doing. Do you remember the UBR initiative for a while where they did like um, uh, Child of Light? And there was another game about war that I don't want to be wrong on but ubisoft had some small games where they were letting small teams go out and make these games for lower budgets and just kind of seeing what they came up with and they don't have to be beautiful great example bandai namco backed um little moss or little nightmares okay little nightmares is a super cool game super cheap to make not much behind it right interesting art style interesting story interesting gameplay Bam, you just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. But yeah, I'd love to see Sony do that. I mean, there's plenty of ideas I can come up with off my head. Give me uh, you know, give me a first-person shooter co- SOCOM game, which I know the expectations would be higher, but fine. Let's just go off there. Bring back MotorStorm and make it a... Maybe bring back MotorStorm and make it a Twisted Metal-style game where it's like, oh, we're going to utilize this IP, switch things up. It's going to be car combat, pure and simple, instead of racing in car combat. There's a number of ways you can utilize this IP that don't have to be expensive, and I think that there's a good balance for that. I agree. I think that there, there, there are ways that you can create not cheap games, but lower cost games, but have high quality. And I, that's just something I wish we saw more of, which is why we talked about that in regards to Sony First Party Studios. I'm glad you said high quality, because I think that's the point here, is that at the end of the day, people right now seem to think that if it's definitely looking at Sony and looking at Activision, it's only quality if it's pushing this graphical limit. Why is that? Yeah. Like people, people will look at a game they haven't played at all by Sony. There'll be no gameplay. You don't even know what it plays like. And people will be like, can you believe the quality Sony's hitting just because they saw a screenshot from Death Stranding? Yeah. And Death Stranding was fun to play, in my opinion. Yeah. It's one of my favorite games last gen. But, but the, the game did not receive well among a majority of people. Not only that, but you can look at many games, and I think it's the opposite. You could you could say the opposite for games like Life of the Black Tiger, where it's like, yeah, that game just looks like trash. To be honest, nobody's ever played it. Well, true. Or not, none of us. Yeah. And, and we're perpetuating it. But, we've said that game looks like garbage because it doesn't even look... It doesn't look like when you look at gameplay, it doesn't look like it's kinetic to play. It looks no. like there's nothing. It's like, why would you play this? Right. But... But sometimes people look at games and they're like, "Man, that game's really pretty." But the game is not not a game for you. Yes, it's not a game. It's like I may be like, "Yeah, that game's gorgeous," and, and I may Sony, hate it. Sony wants to keep this mark of having quality games, right? I still think you can do these budget games 
with unique art styles and unique gameplay types and utilize them in in fun ways. At the end of the day, so long as you just quality test this stuff to where it's a quality game, something that's fun that people want and it just receives well more or less across the board and it's priced adequately for it. Like if you release Killzone uh, Liberation today for $20 as a just side Killzone game to give a little bit more on the story and lore and just kind of let people play around in that, I think that you can do that really well and you can let these things happen. Um, But over on Facebook, we got a couple here. We got Josh Shoop himself, who I mentioned earlier. He goes, if I'm being honest, I kind of dread where open world games will become when they are next gen only. I use the Grand Theft Auto 5 map as an example. That map is way too damn big. And that was something that was formed in the PS3. In my mind, bigger is not better. I feel like having games be big like that. Uh, they tend to be padded too much. To me, an ideal game is no longer than 15 to 20 hours. You can pack a whole lot of great storytelling and beautiful graphics in that time frame. Anything more than that is excessive. Spider-Man Miles Morales is the perfect example of a game that was fun to play and never overstayed its welcome, and it was beautiful to boot. And he doesn't mention this, but Miles Morales was also $50. Thought about price and was able to bring down the price relative to what it was, which is a good example of kind of what we're talking about. How do you utilize the Spider-Man IP more? You make a game that does look better, but it's smaller, not as long, doesn't do as much, and it's also only $50 because it reuses some assets. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean... Let's keep doing that. Right. <laughs> I, I still, I'll still go back to... Uh, um, the... Hellblade. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, that game was 30 or $40, either or. Had eight hours of great gameplay, and I got the platinum for it. I'm like, that's worth the, the price. The the visual with with the way that story is told in that game, it's something that like we've always said, wear headphones if you start and play this game, wear yeah. headphones. But it's something that was like a very unique experience. I think it was a trifecta too because it it looked great for and it, it it looked almost like it defied the price. Yeah. And it was a fun length. It was worth it. It had a cool storytelling and cool uh, you know cool audio things. And I also think the game was fun to play. Mechanically, it was solid. It was really good. So that's kind of where you are. But here's gonna we're going to do a completely turnaround on this, and I kind of like this because this is less talking about the big games. Chad Van Horn says, These games, the games people have praised for their insane graphics, usually never interest me. I don't need groundbreaking realistic graphics. I'm very content with a game which its graphics are refined and run smooth. I don't need to be able to cut the hairs on a character's head for it to be a good game, which is absolutely true. Absolutely. Um, and I guess what it comes down to is that the triple A market is the one that typically is saying games are getting more expensive to make. Games are getting more expensive to make. And the part of the reason you know that is because if it was true that games across the board were getting more expensive to make, then there's no way that No Man's Sky team could continue to update update that game completely for free with the only promise of anything happening is that someone's going to buy the original game. When they could easily go, this is really expensive to make, let's just say, hey, you already own the game. This is a really huge update, almost another game's worth of update, but we're going to say give us $10 for it. And they yeah. don't do that. Right. Because that's not really the case. They're not a AAA game. They're in a different position, and they're not trying to do the same thing that AAA developers are doing when they're constantly calling, oh, games are getting too expensive to make. So we have to find all these other ways. Another example of that is that No Man's Sky, if I'm not even mistaken, doesn't even have microtransactions. Yeah. So it's like literally they have zero of the supplemental income that is typically talked about in regard to this. Yeah, and that's that's one of those games that like at launch – I would not 
have paid $60 for it if I knew what it was going into it. But right now, I would say it's, it's redeemed itself, and it now has $60. Yeah. And that's that's And it could just, be $60 for perpetuity because yeah. it, it continuously gets updated to handle that. Right, and it will hold its value because of that. At one point, they were like $11 at GameStop. You could buy a used copy. And now, now that's like, not the case. Yeah, now they're like 40 or 30 Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, this one's kind of cool, too. I, I, I like where he's going with this. Danny Candyman, Vili Yobos, one of our patrons, he says, I want games to focus more on the story rather than graphical fidelity. There is definitely a sweet spot with graphical fidelity and strong story gameplay. God of War 4 comes to mind. As they said, it was made with a pre- right budget and we didn't lose quality in all of those aspects and he's actually right um if you watch the making of god of war and tons of different talks with them sony was not sure that god of war changing completely was going to be the right way to go so they said you can make it because the game before even being a traditional god of war game kind of fell flat it didn't hit sales expectations um so they were like, well, fine, we'll, let, we'll take the risk and let you make this game, but you're going to do so on what would be considered a shoestring budget for a AAA game at this level. Um, and so it does mean that it can be done. But I think the other reason that we haven't really gotten into as part of why games are getting more expensive is that there's a little more accountability happening where people are really wanting to make sure that if there's any crunching and overtime that it's being counted for and it's being paid. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be the case. I do agree that if you're working overtime and having to do these things, that you should be compensated. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. I mean, you should get paid for what you're doing. Uh, so that's part of why we're seeing that. Games are having more and more to crunch, just like Cyberpunk, and you're having to stay more and more to work on it. And if the reason they're getting more expensive is because the human labor behind it is being compensated, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. But again, I think that there's plenty of examples of why that's not the case on the game, on, on a, as a blanket across the board gaming thing. Again, the fact that No Man's Sky can continue to do what it's doing without having to ever have anybody else come in, that game's constantly being worked on. And then yet we have, and of course they're getting continuously paid for working on that game. Yeah. So, it, But then you look at something like Cyberpunk, which Cyberpunk's a bad example too because Cyberpunk actually has to pay overtime by law, Danish law requires that that be covered but games like that where they continue to go and that to be pushed and crunched and you don't get paid extra which is sometimes the case in the industry that is bad and it i is. can see where that's an issue so it, it's it's kind of a mix but I'm, i think i'm gonna round this off because we're getting where we're about to have to go off um I, I think my thing is like one of the games i'm playing right now is a perfect example near near automata not automata sorry replicant near replicant has been worked on. It's not the same game just rendered prettier. But I think that Automata and Replicant re- really stand in this position where I think they look just good enough to where you're like, oh, there's some really cool scenes. And and I think more than anything, there's really good animations in those games. So it's like, oh, the animations, which is what you primarily see, the back of your character, not their face, right? look good enough. The, when you're seeing the characters talk, yeah, maybe the lip syncing is not perfect. But it's close enough, again, that nine times out of ten, you're cool with it. And the story that they're telling is great and really unique and interesting. And then the gameplay of both of those games are really unique and interesting. And again, neither of those games were very much money to make. And yet, they are renowned to a large group of people. Not, of course, industry-wide, but they are very big games that they're in their own regard right now. And they came from a time where these games were considered failures. I mean, the original Near Replicant was a failure, Wrong place, wrong time. But I think that that's also a reason, as I say, Near Automata and Near Replicant coming out and doing very well, as opposed to how the original came out, 
Was it Dragon Guard considered a failure? Dragon Guard Three was also a failure. Yeah, <laughs> and I love that game. Dragon Guard One was not right. Like Dragon Guard One was a was a massive success. That's what I but thought. But it, it was one of those super cheap PS One, uh, PS Two games, games. Yeah, real early days, and it was just a basically Dynasty Warriors with a story. Yeah, a crazy story, but Dynasty it's, Warriors it's, with a story. It's a Yoko Taro story, of course. Uh, and you, and that's why they moved very quickly into Dragon Guard Two, which Yoko Taro was not part of. Nor was the same development team. But he was a three, right? But he was part of three, that's yes. The, that's the Dark Souls way there. That's weird. <laughs> it is, exactly. And it's all because of the who the creative director is behind it. But that's my example. I'm having so much fun with, with Replicant again. I've played the game a million times. But I'm really, really wanting to go back and play Guard 3, who I'm letting someone borrow right now. But as soon as I get it back, I'm going to go ahead and play through it all again, even though I have new stuff to play. Because... Kind of like Saul said, the only thing I really want, Dragon Guard 3 looks fine. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a rough resolution, but honestly, if you re-released it right now, did no extra work and just let it basically push itself up and go, okay, well, now we have enough power to be 60 frames per second, and now we have enough power to just run at a solid 1080. I don't even care if it's 4K. Just give me 1080. That game is amazing. It's great. The only problem I have with that game is that it's just... Kind of like um, one of the people said, like, make sure the game's finished. In my regard, I don't care. The game should be finished, but more importantly, make sure the game is stable. It can look like a potato as long as it's fun, has a good story, and does all these things with maybe even an interesting art style, whatever it is, but it runs stably, fine. Like, Dragon Guard 3 is basically a perfect game if you run it at 60 frames per second, or even a solid 30 frames per second. (laughs) But. So, yeah, I mean, I, and I kind of stand that way, too. Like, like we've talked about before with Returnal, for me, that I'm currently playing is that it is, is it worth $70? I don't think so. But am I getting $70 worth of value out of it? I think so. Which means that it's a person-by-person basis. Yeah, it is. It, it is for me, like, I have played it for at least 20 hours now, I'd say, give or take. And I think that I have gotten the value of the $70 I put into it. Sure. But somebody next to me who may not have seventy dollars to spare, um, you may not get the same value out of it. Um, and I think that that's important to think about when you consider game purchases and what the values are. Because at the end of the day, the values of every game that you have ever played are yours, and that is to you if they are valuable or not. We've talked about it before with like Terraria about how I would pay sixty dollars for that game because of the amount of value I get out of it. And I would be satisfied with the $60 spent. But then you get into the, the graphics versus the, um, the graphics versus the price versus the cost to make it. And that gets a little more muddied and a little more objective in terms of like, well, yeah, this game shouldn't, shouldn't have had, had have been made this way and cost this much for this simple of a game. But sometimes like with Hellblade, you, you, you get out of it with a win. Sometimes you don't. And, I think that that is gonna what that's what's gonna lead us into the community state question for this week. Unless you had one planned. No, go ahead. Okay, um, we've answered this, I believe, in reader mail. As somebody has asked us, but I think this fits fairly well with what we've talked about today. And I want to ask you, what is your single most biggest regretted purchase in gaming? Yeah, we've done that with consoles. This is for games. This is gonna be what game did you buy and you were immediately regretted. Uh, the purchase and I would be curious as to know why because uh, did you not get your $60 value out of it were the graphics not as good as you were anticipating for being the fi- the price whether it was back in the PS2 era where it cost $50 or where it was back in last gen where it cost $60 um, and let me know let us know that and you can of course let us know 
by following us on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. Uh, our Discord, which I mentioned before, is in the link description. Come hang out, chill with a couple of us. And um, our Facebook group, which is Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. You could uh, you request to get joined in, but you'll get joined in. And speaking of the Facebook group, I'm going to leave this as just something that people can look up on their own if they're interesting. All of what we're talking about today, at least specifically on graphics, um, might be something that tech can eventually help handle because there's a really interesting video that Josh Ayers posted uh, on the Facebook group in response to this community state question where it shows Grand Theft Auto V running with an experimental AI tool over it, which makes it look even more realistic than Grand Theft Auto V already looks. And that might be something where studios can just go, let's focus right here. We don't have to worry about the way textures and whatnot are looking because we don't have to spend all the time for artists to make these things and yeah. push this. Instead, we can make the base of the game, have flat textures, run it through an AI tool, and have the final render be something that's even better because it can account for skin tones and, and sheen on things. And, oh, well, we're going to try and change the way light hits these things. And that might be a way to do things like Hellblade did, where it was like, can we find creative ways to make the game look fantastic while being cheaper yeah I th- isn't that what dlss is dlss is kind of a weird way to get to if i'm not mistaken and i could be but i think the whole point of dlss is a kind of roundabout way to get you 4k image without actually having to process an image at 4k does that have to do with rtx2 though i thought it did it might but i don't I think so i think it's specifically a, a yeah hold on let's see what real quick let's see what DS, dlss is but uh to finish off the thought while deep learning that, super sampling yeah so it's super so it is super sampling so it is 4k okay yeah. um but to finish off that, uh, we'd like to appreciate you guys who support us. And, uh, of course, you guys support us through Patreon over there at patreon.com slash nartech. And if you're listening and you do not support us and you would like to, just throw a couple bucks our way for the show, for the set, for the uh, upkeep cost that it is um, for podcast services in terms of, like, RSS feeds. That's kind of expensive. And, of course, like, if this mic was to fall off this boom arm here, that's a $400 mic that we'd have to replace. And... <laughs> It would just be not fun to have to replace. So either way, thank you guys. We yeah, we we re- heavily appreciate you guys because without y'all at this point in the show, it would be hard to keep on going if something like that was to happen. And it just helps us be motivated because of the fact that we do have supporters behind us, even those that are not on Patreon, just all the people that have listened to us and get with us on Twitter and Discord and 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 nobody goes to YouTube comments, so <laughs> I don't know what to say there. But also, quick plug: listen to Midweek Matinee. We are currently watching all the Fast and Furious movies and going through them. It's trash movies. There's only one good one. But yeah, go what, listen. What's to that. the one good one? Throw it out. Tokyo Drift. Bam. Obviously, right. but hot take. <laughs> we thank you all for tuning in with us. If you like it, like it. If you dislike it, dislike it. And let all your friends know where they could find some PlayStation goodness. It's right here at Triangle Squared. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Shout out to our patrons Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Mark Schutz, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Bailey Robertson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Warpoint, Richard Schaefer, and Hammenegger. Thank you guys so much. And again, if you want to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Thanks.